Hi, I'm Ken Kessler, and welcome to the Sounds of Christmas podcast. If you're new to this podcast, I want to start by saying thanks for joining us. If you're not new, welcome back. Either way, I'm glad you're here. Now, to avoid any confusion, I want to say that there won't be any music played here. This is a place for conversation. I'll talk about Christmas music and some related topics, sometimes by myself and sometimes with guests. If you're looking for music, just go to soundsofchristmas.com and click on the tree or the player on the front page or on the Listen Now page. We play the best variety of Christmas music all year long. Well, except in October, when we play the best variety of Halloween music. This is part of the first ever Sounds of Christmas podcast countdown. Through the end of October, I'll be reposting previous episodes, the top 10 most listened to and most downloaded. So yes, it's a rerun. In fact, it's technically the eighth of 10 days of reruns, all leading up to the new season of the Sounds of Christmas station and two brand new podcast episodes, all on November 1st. But I wanted to make sure that was clear up front. You may have already listened to this episode, and I'm not really adding anything new to it. So if you don't want to hear it again, you should stop listening now. Still here? Well, I tried. Number three will shock you. Number three. The third most listened to and most downloaded episode of the Sounds of Christmas podcast was released on November 9th, 2022. For this episode, I had the honor of talking to Trans-Siberian Orchestra guitarist Al Petrelli, who has been with the band from the beginning. We talked about their music, the legacy of Paul O'Neill, and the tour they were about to embark on. By the way, Trans-Siberian Orchestra are heading out again this year for a tour celebrating the Ghosts of Christmas Eve, and you can hear a special program all about it on the Sounds of Christmas this December. In the meantime, here's my interview with Al Petrelli, the third most listened to and most downloaded episode of the Sounds of Christmas podcast. I am really excited for today's guest, and to convey that excitement, listen to this. Come back to the ultimate rock Christmas tradition. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, live in concert, presented by Hallmark Channel. Millions have made this their must-see holiday event of the season. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, live in concert. Experience the power and magic of the Ghost of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. Critics call it mesmerizing, electrifying, a holiday spectacular for all generations coming to a city near you. Go to TSOtickets.com for info. Don't miss Trans-Siberian Orchestras, The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, The Best of TSO, and more. I feel like that really adequately expresses how excited I am to have Trans-Siberian Orchestra guitarist Al Petrelli here on the Sounds of Christmas podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today, Al. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me this evening. I uh, hope everything is good by you, family as well. And listen, dude, it's time to get to it. Christmas time. Yes, it is. You have uh, an amazing resume. Alice Cooper, Asia, Megadeth, and Michael Bolton. One of those <laughs> things is not like the others. Well, y- yes and no. You got to put it into context of what it was. Michael Bolton uh, in the early to middle 80s, was a different Michael Bolton than what, you know, the world knows Michael Bolton as. 
rock and roll, great frontman, great rock songs. He had had a um, a hit called Fool's Game. Uh, and then I got involved with him. He just put a record out called Everybody's Crazy, which was the soundtrack to the Rodney Dangerfield movie, Back to School. So it was definitely like a, a different version of Michael Bolton, like sitting on the dock of the bay when a man loves a woman. It, it, it kind of preceded that. And God bless him for all the su success he had later on. But in 1985, a bunch of friends of mine decided that we were going to become Michael Bolton's touring band, unbeknownst to Michael Bolton. So uh, the other guitar player, a guy named Tony Bruno, uh, we said, okay, we're going to learn all these Michael Bolton songs. And, and Tony was going to be responsible for getting like the management on the phone, because back then on the record, here's the manager's name, the phone number, the address. You know, you could call people back then. Anyway, long and the short of it is we got hired by Michael Bolton to be his touring band. Here's how life is a weird thing. One of the gentlemen who worked in the management office was a guy named Paul O'Neill. And Paul turned around and came up to us and he goes, I can't believe you kids from Long Island pulled this off. You invented a job. He goes, one of these days, I mean, you're going to work together. Now, this is 1985. And Paul was already on a trajectory of like, you know, hugeness, you know, it was amazing what he was accomplishing. And 10 years later, you know, he was a man of his word. He called me up to work on a project with him. And here you and I are talking about it 28 years after the first time Paul and I sat in the studio together. Yeah, you've been with Trans-Siberian Orchestra from the beginning, if mm -hmm. not technically from before the beginning. Uh, the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were in the band Sabotage. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know it, but there's some Trans-Siberian songs that they put out just before Trans-Siberian Orchestra happened. Yeah. Well, so the song that you're referring to is Christmas Eve 1224, uh, Sarajevo. Right. We may have said that out of sequence, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And that was, you know, so the Michael Bolton story 10 years later, Paul called me up. He was producing a sabotage record called Dead Winter Dead. And it, uh, uh, John Oliva's brother, Chris Oliva, was a guitar player in the band who unfortunately passed away. And they were kind of going through replacement guitar player, replacement guitar player. And he got to this Dead Winter Dead record and he's like, yeah, all these guitar players here, they're all great smoke and burning players. But he, Paul was looking for something different, you know. Now, you got to understand that I spent most of my musical life from when I was a, a baby seeing the Beatles, um, 1964 on the Ed Sullivan Show, going through the uh, public school system on Long Island, learning how to play trumpet and piano and different wind instruments and being part of large ensembles. I, I, I didn't realize I was getting a really great education soundtrack, you know, or underscoring. You know, and being a huge fan of, um, you know, Leonard Bernstein, uh, the West Side Story soundtrack, or Andrew Lloyd Webber's work, uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, all these things that were coming through my dad's Pontiac AM car radio and all these lessons that I was getting in school, learning how to read music, learning how to score for an ensemble, all that, I had no idea that this was all going to kind of get me ready for that one moment in time where Paul said, I'm looking for something specific for this song. And I said, I do want to hear the song. And he put the faders up on what was to become uh, Christmas Eve Sarajevo. And I looked at him like, you know, like you would and go, what's with the Christmas song? And he laughed, you know. And he goes, well, it's not really a Christmas song. It's a song depicting events that took place on Christmas Eve during the war in Sarajevo. Now, my father was a poli-sci professor. So immediately my radar opened up. I was like, all right. Do tell. What's this all about? Anyway, he told me the story about this uh, classical musician during the war who take his cello and go to the town square and uh, play uh, pieces by the great composers in protest of the bombing raids. 
And as he's telling me the story, the hair on my arm is standing up. And he goes, what's the matter? So I was Alice Cooper's musical director in 89-90. And we played in Zagreb and Belgrade before the war. And I was in that town square that you're depicting in your story. I said, press record. And that's when I started playing the opening notes. And he looked at me and he goes, that's it. So the moral of the story is that he was such an incredibly prolific writer. And he could create a visual in my mind, sonically, lyrically, uh, with his poetry, with his storytelling, that me, everything I had done, like I said, up until that moment, was an education to use all my abilities and different styles of music to give Paul what he needed for the song. And there was a great quote. There's a, there's a, um, a documentary out called The Tree Man, which is about my favorite piano player of all time, a dude named Chuck Lavelle. And in this film, about, and Chuck used to play piano for the Allman Brothers. He's Rolling Stones, MD, and he's done like every record <laughs> ever recorded on piano, I think. And they were talking about how he has an uncanny way of writing a song inside the song. So he was the one who played piano, uh, the piano solo in Jessica by the Allman Brothers, you know. And after hearing that quote about writing a song inside the song, it's like, wow, that's exactly what I've been trying to do my whole life. Not be a guitar player, but to be a guitarist, creating parts, creating a uh, 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 something in there that's continuing on Paul's lyric, Paul's thought, the message or, or the vision he's trying to create. And that moment is where he and I looked at each other. It's like, all right, we're going to get really old together and have a lot of fun. And I, I hope that you did have a lot of fun. You've been on every recording that, that TSO put out. Yeah, every Listen, Paul said, he goes, I don't know anything, if it's going to be, have commercial success or it's going to be a, a hit. Because I just want to create great art. And it was so refreshing for me to hear that. Because I and I, I spent a lot of years doing a lot of records and a lot of sessions for, you know, very you know successful artists. Who, God bless every one of them. But he was a man who was more, he just wanted to make a great art form. And he wanted to make a musical statement. And I find that, found it so new and so refreshing. I was like, dude, I'm in. And then he put up Mozart's 24th Symphony. He gave me the score. And I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> And fortunately, I could read really well, so I started reading it. And he's looking at me, goes, "You could do that." I'm like, "Yeah, I got you." You know. And it was just that we became the best of friends. He was my big brother, my boss, my producer, uh, an influence on me like no other. And I spent a quarter of a century with the man, and loved every second of it. It had to be tough to get everybody together to keep this going after he passed away. It's already been five years. I can't believe it. Yeah, I know. Well, listen. He and his wife were there from the beginning of, of the beginning of the beginning, you know, even before my beginning. His daughter was born into it. You know, the family was involved pretty much from the jump. And one of the things Paul always said to everybody, he goes, I just want this to live long past me or long past all of us. You know, um, I don't think any of us were prepared for that to become a reality. You know, certainly his, his wife, his daughter, his immediate family. Uh, but they've been amazing saying, no, the legacy is alive and well. The vision, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. You know, so I'll miss him every second of every day, but I know that every time I play a note from one of his songs or a pyroblast goes off, I'm like, ah, he's somewhere on my left shoulder. We're okay. You know, I have heard so many rumors about things that he was working on for future Trans Siberian Orchestra projects, new Christmas music, a Mozart related project, something about the Romanovs. Any truth to any of those? Anything that you can talk about? All of it's true, dude. He would never stop writing, you know? I mean, you know, he and his family would be brainstorming ideas, uh, uh, 
storylines, rock operas, you know, like just, it was like overwhelming how much information would come back at you. It's like, I got an idea. And we get in the studio and here's a track for a Roman record. He was like, what became the Beethoven's last night album, you know, uh, so much material hasn't been finished yet. And that's what we pretty much do the rest of the year. I mean, this tour takes a big chunk of time to get kind of up and running and then obviously the tour itself, but not too long after we get off the road, it's back in the studio, let's bring these to life. You know, a lot of stuff is getting closer and closer to be finished. You know, I'm going to leave that up to the O'Neill family and management to decide what happens with it. But I'm just thrilled to know that every time, you know, we get back in the studio, you know, there's a song with a rough vocal his on there. And it's like he's back in the room with us, you know. And I spent enough of my life sitting next to the man knowing, okay, well, I was well trained by him. I kind of think I know exactly what he'd be looking for here. Um, you know, I, I can't wait for the world to hear some of the, the music that they haven't heard yet because it really is beautiful and special. Well, I think most people, when they think of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, they think of all the, the wonderful Christmas music. But there's also three really amazing albums that have nothing to do with Christmas. You mentioned Beethoven's Last Night, and there's Night Castle and Letters from the Labyrinth. Any of that stuff that will be that will be coming up on this tour? Yeah, I'm not going to give it away. Okay. But yes, we're doing songs this year that we've never performed live before. And again, with such a vast catalog of completed material... We have a lot to draw from. Uh, and then with some things that haven't been released yet, you know, there's a couple of things that are kind of like floating around. Going, hmm, that'd be fun to play, you know. When, when you go to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra website and you see all the tour information, some people might be surprised when they see that you've got shows in two different cities on the same night, which is a neat trick to pull off. But this is actually something that that you guys have done for a long time, isn't it? Yeah, 1999 was the first year that we ever toured. And I think on the itinerary, it, I, I'm going to say seven or eight cities. You know, uh, New York, Boston, Philly, a bunch of shows in Cleveland. Like, I think three shows in Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago. I'm probably missing someplace, you know. And we had never toured before. We had no idea what the reaction was going to be. So we had two buses and a 24-foot box truck and a fog machine. Yes. And it was the coolest thing ever, you know. And we went out there and it was like standing ovation night after night after night. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. People love this music. I mean, the audience was so diverse, you know, and I, and I always tell the story in the opening night at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, the curtain comes up, the house lights go down and right in front of me, my brother, like, like, like as far as my laptop goes for me, there's this like older, very attractive older couple. And you know, those like uh, crocheted reindeer sweaters that people wear around the holidays. And right next to them was a dude in a Slayer hoodie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I kind of, I'm playing guitar and go, this is going to go one or two ways. It's going to go really, really bad, or it's going to be the most amazing night ever. And it was the most amazing night ever because everybody at the end of the, the story stood up and a standing ovation must have lasted like 15 to 20 minutes. And I was like, this was so much fun. So anyway, I kind of got sidetracked. The next year, obviously, it's like, well, this was a success. Let's go out and do it again. But we're end. You had a promoter in Philly and a promoter in Seattle and a guy in San Antonio, Texas, and somebody in Detroit and somebody in, I don't know, Birmingham, Alabama. They all wanted shows. We got a really small window. They only pretty much got from, like, Thanksgiving until Christmas time. Right. Week after Christmas. Every so often, you know, the first week of January. And it was like, how are we going to pull this off? So, well, he took the band from 99, literally chopped it in half, said, all right, you guys stay up in the 13 colonies. And he looked at me and he goes, you take the band and go everywhere else. 
Okay. <laughs> again, every year there was some new thing that like we just did that had never been done before. And again, that's the genius of Paul O'Neill. You know, if it's never been done before, well, that means it's got to be done. He'll be the first one to do it. And one box truck led to one semi, which led to five semis, which led to last year. I think we had 21 tractor trailers and 12 buses for each band. Wow. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And as you were talking about that uh, performing and the, the diverse audience that you get, I remember the first time I went to a, a show, I think it was the Queen of the Night tour. My son was 11 or 12. He didn't want to go to concerts. He was not excited about going. He had never heard of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but we dragged him along anyway. And almost the entire night, he was standing in his chair, big grin on his face, eyes wide. It was just, it was an amazing experience. And he's loved the band ever since. And this was a kid who didn't, didn't want to be there. Dude, you but know how many times I, I like I'll walk to the edge of the stage, or, like I'll be kind of peeking through the curtain when they're doing like the check presentation, like the pre-show thing that goes on, and I'll see a bunch of teenagers like on their cell phones. Go, oh my god, I can't believe my parents took me to this con. I'm just so lame. And I just and I, and I kind of smirk and I go, yeah, all right. Yeah. Thirty-five, forty seconds into it, boy, is your expression going to change? Boom, like clockwork. There isn't anybody who goes there really comprehending what they're about to hear and see. And within a matter of moments, they're all like transfixed. And for two hours and 20 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes, whatever it is, it's an absolute emotional, visual and sonic roller coaster. And the only, what would break my heart is if I've ever, I was in earshot, somebody said, eh. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I've never heard it. I don't want to hear it. My job is to make sure that nobody ever utters those words or that sentiment, you know? It is the privilege of my life. It's an honor to just every year go back and be part of something that kind of grows bigger and better and better. Like, you know, it's like one of our children, you know? Like, remember, like, as an infant, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, is it warm enough? Is it breathing? Is it doing this? Wipe its nose. Get the, you know, and then, like, as a toddler, you know, it's like, oh, my God, don't crash into this. Don't fall down the stairs. You know, you, you worry about everything when they're little. And then they hit, like, adolescence and young adulthood, and you realize that they just graduated valedictorian from, like, Harvard. And their life is on a trajectory of amazing things that like, I didn't even see on the radar. That's what this band is like. Well, that's what this music is like. That's what these stories are like. You know? A couple of years ago, when the, the pandemic was going on and, and you guys had to cancel the tour, you did a live stream concert. And I was just wondering if, you, if, if there are plans to incorporate that into this year's tour so that people who don't live near the cities can still get to see you. I don't think so. I, I haven't heard anything about that. I know that um, we love to tour. We love to play live. And there's really no replacing getting into an arena or, or a theater, whatever the venue is, that's packed. There's a certain electricity that doesn't exist elsewhere. And I'm addicted to it. Now, the live stream, there was no choice in the matter. You know, the fact that we were given the opportunity to have one swing to play in 2020, you know, Consider what was going on in the world, dude. I have nothing to complain about. Right. The suffering, the loss of so many families globally. You know, so to do the one show, listen, I was thrilled to play once and I was so moved and touched that 250,000, um, there were 250,000 purchases of that stream. Yeah. And that was an unprecedented number. And if you do the math in your head, you figure you got four or five people in each household. Well, that's what, how many tickets we would normally sell. You know, a million tickets, a million and change, whatever. 
So that meant that, you know, Paul's work, the O'Neill family story is intact and people wanted it, no matter what was going on in, in the chaos in the world, for that hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes, they got to have their holiday tradition, albeit in, in a little different manner, but different was all we had that year. So will we ever do it again? Will we stream it? I don't know personally. I don't think so. You know, it's like if you've ever watched a thunderstorm or a lightning storm on TV, it's pretty, you know, that's kind of cool. But when you're at 35,000 feet flying over the Pacific Ocean and you're watching that from above the lightning storm, it's completely different to be in the middle of it live. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. With the the lights and the... uh pyrotechniques and everything and the amazing music there's nothing like being there in person yeah and i don't know the camera and film ever really can capture it you know it is what it is some people can't get to it we'll figure it out in another time i'm just stoked to be back out working you know is every time i walk into an arena and you know the crew's been unloading the, the trucks from six in the morning i turn into a 15 year old all over again right you know like feel like i'm sneaking into the national coliseum when i was a kid trying to you know get scalp tickets for the Allman brothers or whatever you know, I walk into that arena and I feel like a kid. Everybody in the audience walks into that arena. I promise you they feel like kids again, too, because there's nothing like it. The tour kicks off in the middle of November, runs through the end of the year. It's called The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, The Best of TSO and More. And that's a mouthful. Without giving anything away, what can everybody expect? Well, like you had just said, we're going to perform... Uh, Paul's story, The Ghost of Christmas Eve, which we had filmed in 98 or 99. And again, it was one of these things that Paul said, we're going to make a movie. Uh-huh. Awesome. You know, we made a couple great records and sold a lot of them. We hadn't done a live show yet. You want to make a movie? I'm in. Whatever. Oh, can't wait. And that became like an overnight hit, you know, uh, on TV. You know, people saw this as like when I was a kid, it was uh, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street. And Rudolph, my family was a little weird. We watched The Godfather on Christmas Eve. That's another story. <laughs> anyway, whatever our traditions were, this movie became, another uh, for a new generation, their holiday tradition. And all generations, you know, grandparents, you know, parents, and grandkids, whatever, they always sit around and watch this movie like when I was a kid in my feety pajamas watching Rudolph. So when we decided a bunch of years ago, it was the first time we performed it live, and I noticed that everybody in the audience loves it because it's got their favorite songs from the first two Christmas records. It's got a beautifully written story, very Frank Capra-esque. The poetry is, is just gorgeous. And I didn't really f- understand at the time why people loved it so much until it like, went off like a light bulb. And I was like, ah. everybody misses somebody, especially around the holidays. Yeah. You know, so in Paul's story, it's about a, a, a teenage runaway, a young girl. On Christmas Eve, she finds herself like in some like abandoned, bombed out, broken down theater, all boarded up, and she's scared, cold, tired, lonely. She wants to go home. And you know, you kind of like shift uh, the point of view to her parents who were flipping out, like, where's the baby girl? They don't even remember what she ran away, why she ran away. What was the fight about? We don't care. We just want her home. She just wants to go home. You know? And again, in very Paul and the old manner, it has a happy ending. Not everybody has that happy ending. Yeah. All miss somebody. Everybody's had an empty chair at their dining room table, which is more obvious around the holidays. So a lot of folks in the audience, myself on stage and everybody else in the band on stage, even the crew underneath the stage, all relate to that story because we all miss somebody. And the fact that 
Everybody else in the venue has the same feeling. Doesn't make my pain, your pain, their pain any less bearable. But at least you're not alone in your thought. And maybe there's a little solace in there somewhere. You know, you insert your name of circumstance into Paul's story. The entire night is about you. And that's something people cannot get enough of. Anything we've missed that you think people should know about Trans-Siberian Orchestra and the upcoming tour? Just that it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, dude. Uh, Listen, musically, if you're a fan of every style of music, you know, on God's earth, from works by the great composers to theatrical presentations to good old-fashioned American rock and roll to R&B, I mean, there's something represented for you there. And if you want to see the biggest rock and roll production on God's earth, trust me, come see us. You know, you, you, if you walk out disappointed, then I did something wrong. I'll, I'll give you the 50 bucks for the ticket back. I cannot imagine anybody walking out disappointed. My job and the, the entire organization, our responsibility is to make sure that that never happens. You know, so I always compare it to like, you know, a, a Super Bowl football team, you know. You won the Super Bowl, man. That, what an accomplishment. That's awesome. And come February of the next year, so what? Back to the drawing board. That's, in, that's yesterday's news. That's in my rearview mirror now. You know, the O'Neill family is adamant and it's paramount to them that whatever we accomplished last year, that was amazing. We got to do better this year. Well, as a, as a fan, I'm looking forward to seeing either you or the other touring uh, band in Orlando, I think in December. Mm-hmm. to check and i can't wait to hear what's next listen i can't wait to have another chat with you next year and see you know what you thought of this year's tour you know what we can do next year um it'll be it's going on 28 years this coming february march you know when that lightning strike first started and uh maybe me and you could have a conversation for another 28 years we'll see what happens sounds good thanks so much al Uh, Respect, my brother. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and for continuing to support the Sounds of Christmas station and podcast. I told you how to listen to the station and you're already listening to the podcast. So my work here is just about done. All of our episodes are available on the Sounds of Christmas website. Just click the podcast tab. We also have a Linktree page with most, if not all, of the sites that stream the Sounds of Christmas podcast so you can find your favorite and then you can subscribe and you'll never miss another episode. If you have comments or suggestions on this episode, previous episodes, or the Sounds of Christmas station, feel free to reach out to me on social media or through the website. Thanks again. And may you always believe in Santa Claus.